This episode of the Policing Matters podcast is sponsored by Lexable and their digital media community, Police One. Access free COVID-19 policies, courses, and additional resources through Lexapol's Coronavirus Learning and Policy Center. Available at coronavirus.lexapol.com. Well, good morning. Hello, listeners, and thank you for tuning in to Policing Matters on PoliceOne.com. I'm Jim Dudley, your host for today's show. And today I'm speaking with author and content um, specialist uh, Rex Sism. Um, and Rex is a retired captain with 32 years experience and former director of research and development for the Missouri State Highway Patrol. He currently serves as an adjunct faculty member of the Department of Criminal Justice for both Columbia College and the University of Central Missouri. He is also a FBI National Academy graduate. Welcome, Rex. Yeah, I appreciate it. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'd like to um, reflect a little bit on your your um, your article regarding protecting criminal uh, critical infrastructure and how organizations can help uh, protect themselves during this pandemic. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Sure. Um, You know, over my 32 years in law enforcement, the one thing that I recognized uh, is that we're really good at reactive, um, you know, responding to calls for service and doing things from a reactive posture. Um, The one thing that I think a lot of times that we take for granted is maybe our proactive um, response to problems. And so when you look at the current pandemic and, and you kind of go back in history, you know, we have these kinds of things happen. Um, you know, there's some nuances about this that are a little unprecedented, but about every 10 years, it seems like there's, you know, this one big thing that a lot of uh, public safety organizations have to respond to uh, throughout the country and often throughout the world. And so I wanted to just kind of refresh some of the basics. You know, we uh, we talk about uh, preparation for these type of situations and and a continuity of operations in these situations. And a lot of agencies have uh, continuity continuity of operation plans. Um, but the analogy I always like to use is that many of them are are sitting on a shelf somewhere and they're pretty dusty. And when something like the current pandemic happens, we pull them off the shelf and we blow the dust off of them. And then we try to pick up, you know, and figure out what we need to do. Um, The problem with that, obviously, is that, you know, people change and and we have new people and new roles and um, the operation changes and the times change and technologies change. And sometimes that dusty uh, coop cog that we have on the shelf isn't contemporary. And so I wanted to just touch base and put things into perspective uh, with the current situation and reaffirm some of the basics that most of us, especially as command staff, uh, understand and and do. We're just just sometimes not as good as we should be at, you know, that proactive, getting ahead of it uh, conceptually and and having a plan so, so it's not disjointed when we try to you know, start using it. From a regional planning perspective, uh, we know the pitfalls there um, when state level people try to direct priorities at rural uh, entities or municipalities. Um, how do we deal 
with uh, transitioning from just uh, policing our own backyard to opening up to regional resources and taking direction from somebody much further up the chain? Yeah, and that's that's a great question. And you know, when you look at just the the public safety infrastructure throughout this country, it's it's very fragmented. And and you know, we have some mechanisms in place to help with that fragmentation. Um, and it's nothing new, especially in law enforcement, because I think uh, depending on where you're at, where you're at, uh, you have worked in some type of joint effort during a critical incident or critical incident planning. Um, the, the problem is, I think, from a from a global scale. So, the you know, if I'm looking at it from a state standpoint and what state resources are available, sometimes I'm looking at things from a very broad stroke, you know, and I'm not necessarily focused on what is going on in that particular jurisdiction, that localized jurisdiction. It's hard for me to have visibility on that. And a prime example is just here in Missouri, you know, there's 114 counties. And within all those counties, you have all these different, um, you know, municipal law enforcement agencies, public safety agencies, uh, county agencies, and then of course the state presence among the different uh, state agencies that support the local agencies. And so it's very easy to get fragmented and it's very difficult sometimes for everybody to speak the same language. And I think that's where this type of planning is really important ahead of something like we're dealing with now um, you know, whether it's tabletop exercises or regional meetings or coming together and trying to figure out what resources uh, are available to help uh, these local agencies do what needs done. Because when you look, you know, and I touched on it in the article, um, when you look at the numbers and the absentee rate that frequently happens when these type of pandemics occur, um, we have to figure out a way to leverage the resources that we have uh, which which might be significantly impacted. You know, a third to just under half of our workforce might be adversely impacted, not able to come to work. Um, so it's really important um, for these local agencies to coordinate not only with one another, but with the larger agencies and the, the state as a whole. And I think from, like I said, from a state standpoint, it's hard to take that, um, to understand that. You know, as a state agency, for example, can I understand what the needs in 114 counties uh, and all the representative jurisdictions might be. Right, and of course you're talking about uh, the National Incident Management System and ICS as our, our sort of go-to organizational means. But when we do get broader um, or, or even within our local jurisdiction, we know, um, I think we've all experienced uh, someone coming in from government or from politics and, um, and wanting to assume command or take over um, uh, an incident command, but who's in charge? Do we go by rank or expertise? We know that in NIMS and ICS that only the trained expert in event um, management can be the event commander. How do we deal with executive level policymakers that may not uh, be making the best decisions? Yeah, and that's another great question because the other thing we run into, and you, you're spot on with every bit of that analysis, you know, we know structurally uh, with ICS how it's supposed to work. Um, but we also know when we get boots on the ground practically how it needs to work. And sometimes those are competing um, roles, you know, and, and, and when you look at the fact that we all have egos, and I don't mean just individually, but just organizationally as well, um, it's, it's very difficult sometimes to set those egos aside and do what needs done, uh, you know, what's best for the community, in other words, you know, maybe 
the person with the best aptitude or the individuals with the best aptitude aren't necessarily uh, structurally the ones that we on paper want to relegate to that. And I think, you know, as a commander, obviously you have to be open-minded enough to let your people do what they're good at. Um, and that's something I know I always tried to focus on through my years in a command role is let, let your people focus on what they're good at and capitalize, um, you know, and leverage their strengths, uh, regardless of what their rank is, regardless of how many years of service they have. If they're really good at something and they can help uh, make whatever your planning process or your uh, uh, continuity of operation process is work, then, then use them. Uh, and, and let's face it, you know, one of the things I learned in my years in the military is that, you know, on the battlefield, you, you have to do that as a commander or as a senior NCO, because uh, on the battlefield, people die and you have to have that continuity to, to continue uh, whatever your warfighting posture is. And really, in public safety, it's no different. You know, not necessarily, we're not now on a battlefield per se, um, but you have to have a good continuity plan because what if my command staff on the organizational chart that are supposed to be staffing those positions are part of that 30 or 40% that can't come to work? Now I have to be able to rely on other folks that aren't necessarily on a table of organization, but have the skill set necessary uh, to do the job. And so I think that's where the planning you know, that we talk about in the article comes in uh, to play. Well, those are all great points. Uh, and I'd like to talk a little bit about how uh, some of the agencies can be prepared. And of course, during this crisis, officers can access online coronavirus related courses and policies for law enforcement at no cost. Access is available for individual officers and agencies nationwide. To learn more, visit coronavirus.lexipol.com. That's coronavirus.lexipol.com. Lexipol is the leading content, policy, and training platform for public safety and local government. So we can learn about how to integrate uh, our local community with the broader county and state agencies and how we, as you just talked about, um, we can all share the same language or common terminology and, um, and come up with our, our action plans under our op operational time period. Clearly uh, prepared is better, but if no plans exist, uh, how would you suggest, Rex, how would you su suggest that an agency get up to speed quickly? I'd start by asking, uh, shouldn't we take care of first responders first um, with the proper PPE, uh, the personal protective gear, uh, proper directives, uh, and the ability to use discretion. Um, what do you see as really important for an agency tackling um, a difficult situation or, or incident? Well, I, I, I think you summarized a lot of those things. Um, you know, obviously the foundation uh, to that success is grounded in good policy. And so it's important for an agency to have good policy in place ahead of something like this happening. You know, knee-jerk policy is a difficult, um, it's difficult to get your people all moving in the same direction when it's a knee-jerk policy that comes after the fact. Um, so I think it's important to have a good foundation of that policy and the planning um, essentials, such as a, a continuity of operations plan, and then make sure um, that it's up to date. And then, you know, once those policies are in effect, they're only as good as how the agency 
makes uh, employees aware of them. So we have to train to those standards. We have to make our employees aware of them. Obviously, we have to pro provide them with the right tools. So you mentioned PPE. That's extremely important. You know, do they have masks? Do they have gloves? Do they have hand sanitizer? Do they have those those things that we kind of take for granted and sometimes get lost in the back seat, you know, of the or the trunk of the uh, patrol vehicle? And uh, making sure that that stuff's current, that it's usable, that there's plenty of it. Which right now, obviously, we're seeing a shortage nationwide. Um, so that's becoming, uh, it's important, I think, from a conceptual planning standpoint that we make sure that, you know, our supply rooms are stocked adequately enough for situations such as this. And then making sure that we're able to make some uh, or have some flexibility on our policies. Um, you know, for example, for law enforcement enforcement policies, um, you know, there's police agencies that bring offenders back to uh, the police officer's vehicle. Uh, you know, obviously right now that's not a, that's not prudent uh, or, or, you know, what's our focus on enforcement? You know, are we becoming more reactive? Uh, are there certain calls for service that we're maybe not going to handle uh, that we traditionally would handle? We'd maybe have an officer going to. Um, and, uh, you know, so all having, having those adjustments and some flexibility in the policy to where we can protect our workforce is extremely important because you know, like I said, and I know I keep going back to this, but it's very important in the research. The one thing that stood out to me was that when we look historically at other pandemics, about 30% or more of our workforce is adversely impacted. Uh, and when you look at those numbers and how that impacts public safety professionals, um, th that's the difference between being able to adequately protect not only ourselves, but the community or not. Um, so that, that's a big deal. Yeah, I mean, those are those are all great points. I mean, some people from the outside looking in might see this as, um, you know, sweating the small stuff, but it actually comes down to that. I mean, if you can't protect your first responders um, physically and mentally, then you're stuck with, um, you know, the second line of defense. And as far as I know, there is none. So I uh, got to take care of the first responders. But in, in my closing, I want to ask you, um, what do you see is coming next? How can efforts be sustained? Certainly we're really close, if not exceeding capacity at some departments and agencies where uh, days off are canceled, uh, working hours are extended. Um, what's the operational time period of say the next 30 days look like? You know, it's really hard to say, Jim. I, I, you know, I would like to think that if everybody pays attention to the CDC guidelines and a lot of the local government guidelines that are being put out, that we can, you know, we can flatten that curve as they talk about. And uh, as, this, as the summer months start to approach or the warmer weather starts to approach, you know, we'd like to think that that's going to kind of curb some of the impact that this uh, that virus is having in our communities, but but the bottom line is that it's it's significant enough that a lot of folks aren't able to go to work, either, be, either because they're sequestered or because they're dealing with uh, uh, family members that are ill or, uh, or they're ill themselves. You know, there's a lot of ancillary issues that impact every uh, workplace, uh, including public safety. And so I think the next 30 days, it's really gonna be critical that the folks that are, are coming to work are adequately protected. You know, we talked about the importance of policy and having 
the proper PPE, but, but we have to make sure that these folks are using it appropriately, they're protecting themselves. And, you know, we have to look after their well-being as well. I mean, because if we're canceling leave and and uh, you look at some of the things we take for granted, I mean, there's, uh, there's lacking resources out there uh, in our communities. There's, um, you know, uh, things like funerals aren't, you know, we're not able to have, people aren't grieving correct, you know, properly or going through the uh, right amount of grieving process because, you know, we're having to cancel funerals and weddings and graduations and all those kind of things have a uh, emotional impact on the families of everybody, but as, but our public safety workers as well. And so we have to make sure that they're okay and in a position to be able to come to work at 100% um, in, in, you know, what we can all classify as an austere environment uh, right now. So the next 30 days, I think will be critical to that not only making sure that we can maintain the numbers to adequately serve the communities that we uh, support, but uh, that our workforce is strong, um, other than a physical sense, you know, in a mental sense as well. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think with, I think PERF is making an estimate that nearly 20% of our officers nationwide are not at work because they're either ill or self-isolating because they may be, have been in contact with someone who's been ill. So the next 30 days are gonna be critical, as you say. And um, I just wanna thank all the officers, all the first line responders uh, in the medical community, as well as law enforcement. Uh, they're out there doing their job and getting to work and, and making sure the rest of us are safe. Um, Rick Sism is our guest today, and he wrote an article on police1.com, protecting critical infrastructure, what your organization can do to weather the storm. Very well written, uh, checks a lot of boxes, touches all the bases, and it's a good starting point. And uh, it's a good reminder for several things that we may have forgotten along the way with other uh, critical incidents that we could apply to the current uh, pandemic. Uh, thank you, Rex, for being our guest today. It was a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, thanks, Jim. I appreciate it. And everybody stay safe out there. Thank you. Take care.